Numbers is a, is a, it's a lengthy book, but it's a great book. It's an exciting book, and there's a lot of lessons in it, and I'm looking forward to it. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up to the book of Numbers right after Leviticus as we just continue to go forward through the Bible right now in this Old Testament portion of books known as the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. So Leviticus was the handbook for the children of Israel when they made that covenant with God at Mount Sinai around 1500 B.C., Numbers is now the narrative as they go forward from that covenant as a people that have come out of bondage and slavery. It's been a year. They've made the covenant with God, and now God's calling them to live by faith, walk by faith, and go enter into all the promises he has for them. So a common application for us even as a whole in the book is that God wants us to enter into all the promises he has for us. They just need to trust the Lord, and they would enter in. We need to trust the Lord, and we will enter in. And as we go forward in this book, we're going to see grace, mercy, judgment, chastening, everything that's consistent with God's character, consistent with his holiness and his good things that he wants to do in our lives. And it's called Numbers because there's a lot of numbers in the book because of the census. This book starts with a census, a God-ordained census, with one generation— And then it ends at the end of the book with another census with a different generation. And so essentially, as we go through this book, we start out with this old generation, everyone over 20. Then we're going to get this transition for 40 years in the wilderness where they all die off for unbelief. And the next generation arises and that next generation will get their census before they go into the land with Joshua to conquer the promised land. So this generation, older generation, they saw all the good things of the Lord They knew what slavery looked like as slaves in Egypt. They came out of that, and here they are at Mount Sinai. But underneath them, under the age of 20, is the next generation that's going to watch the older generation die in the wilderness, then have a census for them, and they're going to go in and enter into those promises. This book is about creating order out of disorder. I mean, they were slaves. They weren't weren't an organized nation. They're now a nation. The book of Leviticus was about order. Moral law, civil law, religious law, these things. And so it's order, and then we're going to see disorder, and then it comes back to reorder. Like, this generation is going to fail, the next generation is going to be rebooted, and God starts afresh again, even like he's doing right now on this planet. The greatest generations, they're in difficult places right now in their upper 80s and early 90s, and feeling the full brunt of COVID in the backstretch of their lives. The baby boomers are right there, right behind them. Myself being a caboose for baby boomers, we're coming. And we we received a lot of things from our parents, and we've made a pretty big mess through selfishness. And even though you kind of have Gen X in the middle there, it's almost more like the millennials now are the next generation, and what are they going to do? Because the baby boomers have definitely not entered into the promises as a whole. They've train wrecked the planet. So it's going to be up to the millennials to decide if they want to find another gear that was missed by their parents in some cases or if they're going to settle for less. That's really what's at stake for us as a nation. So it's not hard to picture the common denominator with this book. An older generation is going to die off, a younger generation that's going to have their opportunity. And there's nothing new under the sun. It happens every cycle on the generations since the dawn of creation with Adam and Eve in the garden. Now, we're going to start out at Mount Sinai, but we're going to quickly get into the wilderness, the wilderness wandering, 
and eventually we're going to end up at Moab at the end of this book. We're going to spend about 20 days at Sinai doing the census, getting everything in order, and then we're going to spend 38 years wandering around in circles, literally wandering around in circles. And then at the end of this book, we're going to end up with five months, the back end, getting that next generation ready to go in and receive the promises. So that's the template, the overall view of the book and what we can expect. So now we come to chapter 1, and it's the first census of Israel, and we read this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, take a census of all the congregation of all the children of Israel by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel. You and Aaron shall number them by their armies and with you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one the head of his father's house. These are the names of the men who shall stand with you. From the tribe of Reuben, Eliezer, the son of Shadur. From Simeon, Shalumiel, the son of Jerdshadadi. From Judah, Nashon, the son of Amminadab. From Issachar, Nathaniel, the son of Zur. From Zebulun, Elab, the son of Helon. From the sons of Joseph, Ephraim, Elisham, the son of Ahinaham, from Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Pedahazar, from Benjamin, Abidan, the son of Gidanoi, from Dan, Azahizer, the son of Amishadi, from Asher, Pagiel, the son of Okran, from Gad, Elasaf, the son of Duel, from Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Enon. These were chosen from the congregation, leaders of their father's tribes, heads of the divisions of Israel. Then Moses and Aaron took these men, who had been mentioned by name, and they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month, and they recited their ancestry by families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, each one individually, as the Lord commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. So they're, they're here, and they're taking this congregation, or this census of the congregation. A couple things that get our attention right away. Remember, Israel is 12 tribes, right? It's 12 tribes. And because the Levites are set apart, a reminder, they serve the Lord. They're not in this list. So now you have 11, but you're still going to have 12 for military purposes. And so you get the tribe of Joseph gets split in half, Manasseh and Ephraim. So you get the subdivision of the one tribe to round out the numbers of 12 because you have three, three tribes on each side of the camp with the Levites in the middle, which we'll get to shortly. So let's think about this. All the men over 20. So guys, this, there's something about being over 20. Uh, in America, it's 18. You know, you register for the draft when you're 18. We used to call that conscription in the British Empire. Conscription is a draft. It's a draft. I grew up with a draft. I missed the draft, but as a kid, I remember the draft and the Vietnam War quite clearly growing up on Marine Corps bases in Quantico and Camp Pendleton, late 60s, early 70s, and the draft. To this day, there's many people I know or have met in my journey who were drafted and did serve our country in Vietnam. And so that was the last time we really had a draft that affected us that way, where you went to war. And of course, it was not a, it's a whole other history lesson on what took place there. But the common denominator here is the, that the men are over 20. And what's it say? It says men ready to go to war. It's conscription. They have come out of slavery. 
God delivered them from the Egyptians who had the heavy hand on them. They've come through the Red Sea and seen his faithfulness to them. They've eaten the man in the, they've eaten the, man in the wilderness. They've seen the water from the rock. They've seen that God is with them. And if they had any doubts about what's really going to happen, now they realize, hey, we're going to have to fight for what God has for us. Literally fight for it. They're going to go to war. It's a, if you really historically get it, by what basis do they know anything about military or training? They were slaves. Who amongst them knows how to train for war? Now, it's a, a balance, right? Because it's like Jesus and the water pots in John chapter 2. you got to fill the water pots, but it's the Lord who turns it to wine. Like, we do our part to prepare ourselves, but the battle ultimately, like David said to Goliath, is the battle belongs to the Lord. But we still need to do our part. Of course, it's fascinating to this day that the Israeli army, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, is probably the most effective military machine in the world, person for person, the women and the men. Of course, the fact that people want to kill you on every border will keep you sharp and crisp for the battle, as opposed to when you think you're, you got it made, you, you get kind of lazy and you, you lose your edge. And it happens with people, households, individuals, and countries. But it's, it's war. These men are going to be prepared for war. So I just want to bring up something here. This is serious. This is serious stuff. This is serious. This is a serious responsibility. And you have no choice in it. You are 20 years old. You are being drafted. There's a head of your family that talks to the head of your tribe. And you're going to come out and you're going to be counted. You've lost a lot of your individual identity, a lot of your individual rights. And you're being counted for war. But the beauty of this army, this standing army, because it was a standing army, is the Lord would lead them. Even as they went into the promised land, everyone under 20, not this census, but the next one, before they went in, when Joshua's contemplating this great military commander who's had multiple incredible victories in war, he's contemplating the battle plan for Jericho, Jesus appears to him in the Old Testament, a Christophany, a theophany. And Joshua goes, hey, are you for us or for them? And he says, but no, as a commander of the Lord's army, I've now come. And Joshua falls down and worships him. And evidently, he probably got the battle plan that you're just going to march Six days, one time, seventh day, seven times, shout out, and the victory is going to be yours. Now, they had much more traditional combat battles after the Battle of Jericho, after getting defeated the first time in the Battle of Ai with the various battles they had. It was a balance. And isn't that what life is? It's a balance of us being serious and being responsible for what God's called us to do and stepping up and receiving our responsibilities and not being afraid of the battle and not being afraid of the heat of the battle or as we'd say, manning up or womaning up and just be who we're meant to be. Be a woman of God and step up. Be a man of God and step up. Be an old man of God and step up. Be a young man and got to step up. But right now, we all got to step up. As we talked about it on Saturday, we're, we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. Remember, Saturday, the Lord is our provider. The Lord is our protector. And the Lord is our presence. And the battle is the Lord's. But we have to step up right now. It was responsibility. And there's a conscription going on right now for the body of Christ. We have to step up. We do not want to look back at this time in human history as American citizens and not say that we did all that we could in the realm of prayer and steadfastness, consecration, and commitment. Our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for turning down strongholds. And we are up against some very dark strongholds, very demonic, very sinister, 
very evil. You know, when you see in Revelation, when they open the pit and these things come out, I think we're looking at things like that right now. There are forces behind all that's going on right now on this planet that I've never sent such evil or seen such evil. But we're still on a journey, and God's not done with us. And for each one of us in the body of Christ, we have a role. And this census counted everybody, every male, 20 years or older, by identity, personally. When I did the study on Aaron and changing the showbread, what did I say? Aaron, he knows you by name, the personalness of you. And it's not about what someone else needs to do right now. It's about what each of us needs to do fervently in the realm of the Spirit, stepping up for war, spiritual battle, and preparing ourselves. We have no idea where this is all going on this planet. And it's really important that we're razor sharp with the Lord. We are razor sharp and prepared with the mind of the Lord for whatever comes our way. Because lawlessness is increasing. Criminal activity is increasing. And a dark day is upon us, spiritually and practically. And so we need to step up like these conscripted, drafted Israelite boys, young men at the age of 20, be counted and do what we're called to do. And unlike them, we do need to trust in the Lord. And unlike them, we do need to enter into the promised land. But we're all going to be tested. We all are being tested. Now, we also see not just the responsibility of each person, each male over 20, to be prepared to go to war. But we also see the leaders who would lead them. There are 12 leaders, name by name. These are not the 12 spies that go in to spy out the land, just a few chapters. That's a different 12. Unfortunately, the the good news for these 12 is they're not those 12, the 10 who didn't believe, but unfortunately for them, these 12 align themselves with the 10 who did not believe. So it's failed leadership. Let me say that again. These 12 men, responsible for hundreds of thousands of people they're representing for each of their tribes, chosen by the congregation, in sense voted in by their tribe to represent their tribe in a governmental sense and a military sense, failed their people. So one day they're reading the ancestry of who they come from, their father's father, the son of so-and-so. I'm Joey Brand, the son of Phil Brand, Madison, Wisconsin, you know, who's the son of Fred Baran, who's the son of Hoken Baran from Baran, Norway, and so on and so forth. You're just reciting your genealogy of why you're in this tribe. Now, remember, the Israelites, it was all identified by your tribe. So we would just identify, like, hey, here we are, and this is who I am, and this is our time. And these guys are leaders, and they failed. More often than not, leadership does fail, especially political leadership, because it's generally corrupt and generally doing sketchy, shady things. Again, just do any random search on European history, how the monarchs were all just... It's incredible, the history of Europe in the last 500 years, and the conniving and the cabals and the conspiracies and all these things. And in fact, I used to read the Bible, because when you get to Kings and Chronicles, what do you get? You get traitors, you get conniving, you get conspiracies, you get one son killing the other 70 sons in the book of Judges with Gideon's son killing the other sons. So failed leadership is something pretty common in the human experience. Just don't let it be common in ours. 
Last night, I was hanging out with Luke Caldwell from Grand Prize. You know, and Esterlin, he doesn't do the music anymore. He does Boise Boys, the TV show and all that stuff. And we were hanging out in Los Angeles. And we were talking about leadership and failed leadership, particularly in the body of Christ. And he actually said he believes there's a, a massive crisis of failed leadership in the body of Christ as a whole. There's a massive lack of leadership. And then he talked about how much pressure there is on spiritual leaders. We talked about how much pressure is on Greg Laurie to do Easter service for the president with Phil Wickham leading worship this year. The type of pressure on Skip Heisey to show up on the prayer march and pray like that and to be involved with the governor of New Mexico who would not believe at all like how he believes, but to represent Christ to her and how they're complicit and compliant with the COVID laws in New Mexico and how much pressure there is and how do you handle all this stuff and how do you find the balance? And I appreciate leadership like Greg Laurie and Skip Heisey. It's been a challenging time. I do not want to fail you with my spiritual leadership and I do not want you to fail the people you lead with yours either. We're all called to be led by the Good Shepherd, and we're all called to lead for the Good Shepherd. I do not want to fail you in the leadership responsibilities of this church for such a time as this, nor do I want you to fail the people you love and care about and are leading at the same time. Luke Caldwell had some very encouraging words for me because he's known me for 20 years, very close. And some very encouraging words for me. Nonetheless, we're not done. I don't want to come short. Do you want to come short? Anyone here want to come short entering in? You want to like first and goal from the three and not punch it in for all the confetti flying on your head? We want to, we want to close it out. You know in surfing, when you compete, my coaching is really simple. First turn commitment because the first turn gets all the points. Last turn completion. You can put together the most beautiful ride, moving toward a 10, an excellent range, high score. you got to stick that last turn. You've got to finish. I just tell people, you know how you have got to will it. We train over and over and over to finish. We need to finish. These leaders were leaders. They failed, and they did not finish. We need to be strong leaders, and we need to finish to the end. Who are following and who are leading and be found faithful. And you know, the, the most difficult thing about reading the Bible at times is to see how brutally honest it is about the human experience, including failed leadership in the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles. There's very few leaders that finish strong all the way to the end, Joshua being one of them. This is about leadership. The people trusted them. And the congregation, they rejected the good report from the promised land, and we'll see that soon. These leaders could have influenced them instead of being led as hirelings into unbelief and chastisement and punishment from the Lord and their carcasses lying in the wilderness. These leaders could have led the congregation and led them, but they didn't. So let us take seriously these names because these names were leaders of hundreds of thousands they had great opportunity. They were entrusted to be spiritual leaders, and they failed. And I read this, and I think, I do not want to fail as a spiritual leader. 
I want to fulfill my calling as a spiritual leader as I even want the same for you. And you know, let me just say this in case you haven't figured out in the last six months, there are a lot of spiritual leaders being weighed in the balances just like you and me. And there's a lot of pressure on a lot of people Open your church, don't open your church, lose your church, keep your church, stay here, move out of state. There's a lot going on. We need to be leaders on our knees, led by the Lord. And that's who I'm trying to be for you. And if I sound serious, I am serious. We're weighting the balances. It's as serious as these people. You don't think our time's as serious as these people right here? I hope you do. Our time right now is as serious as anything these guys are facing right here. It's a serious time. Verse 20. Now, the children of Reuben, Israel's oldest son, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the numbers of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered to the tribe of Reuben, were 46,500. When we get these numbers, they're all rounded off, so most likely they're not exact numbers, but rounded numbers. Okay, so you'll catch that. From the children of Simeon, there are genealogies by their fathers, by their father's house, and of those who are numbered according to the numbers of the names, every male individually from 20 years old above. All who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Simeon, were 59,300. From the children of Gad, there are genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above. All who were able to go to war, those who were numbered by the tribe of Gad, were 45,650. That's the only one not rounded off to 100. It's a portion of 100, 650. And you know, when you get this repetition in, gen, in um, numbers, embrace it. Because if God says anything more than once or reaffirms something more than once, it's worth listening to more than once. Verse 26. From the children of Judah, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Judah were 74,600. From the children of Issachar, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Issachar, 54,400. From the children of Zebulun, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Zebulun, were 57,400. From the sons of Joseph, the children of Ephraim, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Ephraim, were 45,000. From the children of Manasseh, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the numbers of the names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Manasseh, were 32,200. So just a quick pause here, 32 through 35. Again, this is the tribe of Joseph, Joseph split in two. So no Levites. Joseph split into subdivisions. His two sons were Ephraim and Manasseh, of course. It's hundreds of years later. These are the descendants of the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. Verse 36, from the tribe of Benjamin, their genealogies by their, family, their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered the tribe of Benjamin, were 35,400. Obviously, there's big discrepancies in the amount of people that might be in a tribe, and there were larger tribes and smaller tribes. Verse 38, from the children of Dan, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Dan were 62,700. 62, from the children of Asher, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Asher were 41,500. From the children of Naphtali, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of families from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Naphtali, 53,400. These are the ones who were numbered, whom Moses and Aaron numbered with the leaders of Israel, 
12 men, each one representing his father's house, to all, so all who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's house from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, all who were numbered were 603,050. The number on the second census at the end of the book is very close to that same number. Let me just say this. All these over 20 did not enter in. And I've watched, and I'll move on quickly, but I'll say this. I was born in 61 when prayer was taken out of public schools in America. My timeline, and if your timeline's in your mind, similar to mine, we've lived during the entire debasing of this nation from greatness to what it is now. We've gone from being the head to the tail, from the, the boss to the hireling, and we are upside down. We are living as a nation what God warned with Israel would happen to them. Now, we're not in a covenant like they were, but my entire generation has train wrecked an entire generation. Pastor Chuck used to tell us all the time, 70 million people, an entire generation of workforce was killed in the womb in this country. We have removed every solid ancient boundary that was to our benefit and to our blessings as a nation. And we've allowed people from my generation to come to power and put evil people in power to do evil, diabolical, sinister, and evil things, demonic things in our timeline. And now we see what we get. And I got to tell you, approaching 60, I feel like I've lived to watch the fall of the Roman Empire. But listen, I'm not a doom and gloomer, and I am optimistic because I know a lot of people on this list i got a lot of friends in eternity that never received the Lord, and so do you. And they're like people on this list. Don't be on this list. Don't let the young people you love end up on this list. Because God gives us a future and a hope. And we must encourage the next generation. we got 20 years to do whatever we can to pray for, serve, encourage, and build up the next generation that they can enter into a future and hope greater than what we brought upon them. But I think Charlie Kirk has said, well, what has happened? This generation, this next generation is the first generation that gets less from the previous one in American history. They're getting less. They're getting less. And the statistics prove it. So it's up to us in our fourth quarter, if you're in my timeline, in our generation, to do everything we can through prayer, the word of God, and promises, and the promises of God, and serving to make a difference. Because if the Lord tarries, there is a generation that can enter into everything. And I, I wouldn't even dare begin to think that because the baby boomers train wrecked this planet, that a future generation couldn't come up and do better than anything we ever had. Because I'd be counterintuitive to believing in God for who he is and his character and his faithfulness in the human experience. So even though it's been hard to watch this in our timeline, like the reign of Manasseh or something in you know, the book of Chronicles, there can still be a better timeline for my children and my children's children. And like I've said before, my entire life is committed to making this planet better in Jesus' name for them and their children's children. And that's why I'm alive. That's my lane. And I'm going to run hard in this lane. Because this list of people, they're all damned. All of them. They all died in the wilderness like so many of the people we grew up with and the people who made bad laws for us, they're gone and they're dead but we're still here. So the young people need to step up, be counted, accept your responsibility, and go for it with the king. And the older people, we got to do everything we can on the back end of the Sinai Palenza to make it a better future for that next generation 
so that they can enter in. And even if you don't think they deserve to enter in, like they're not showing any signs that they should enter in, don't give up on them. God doesn't give up on us, and he's not giving up on them. This list is hard because they all died in the wilderness because they're all over 20, and no one over 20 entered in because of their unbelief. They provoked the Lord, and I've watched my entire timeline leadership fail and provoke the Lord, by and large, as a whole. To be honest, I'm so disgusted by some of the leadership in America. It, it, I'm violently, I'm sick, I'm sick of it. What evil. But we must pray and be counted. And if I'm 60 in this army, put me in the census. Caleb was a bad dude at 86. I'm not going down without, without a spiritual fight. And nor should anyone else. We're gonna, us older people, we're going to be off this planet so soon. Do you realize that? Like, so soon. And that's presuming we get to live a healthy life for a decade or two. These people all perished. This list is one of my least favorite lists in the Bible for obvious reasons. 603,000 people who couldn't trust in the Lord, not one of them, could just say, you know what, I believe Joshua and Caleb later on. What a warning to us. Verse 47, but the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. They have a separate census. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle, the testimony, over all of its furnishings, over all of the things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. They shall attend to it in the camp around the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. Then the tabernacle is to be set up. The Levites shall set it up. The outsider who comes near, it shall be put to death. Yeah, it's for the Levites only. Know your lane. Verse 52. The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of testimony that there be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel, and the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of testimony. Thus the children of Israel did, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so they did. So what God is saying is the Levites, of course, are set apart. They're like the chaplains in the military. They're, they're going to serve the Lord. They carry the tabernacle items. They carry them on carts. They carry them on their shoulders. So as we're going to see their encampment in just a minute, the, the Levites are the center because Christ is the center, like the vineyard song, Jesus be the center of my life. Christ is the center of the camp, the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day. Christ is the center. Christ led them, we're told in the New Testament. That's Christ is like the cloud leading them, Corinthians tells us. And the things that are written here are for ad, our admonition, the New Testament tells us, as we read this book. So it's as living and powerful for us as any book of the Bible can and should be. But it gets the New Testament emphasis. It's written for our admonition, the church, this book. Levites, they're the worship leaders. They're the leaders. They do all the stuff. Central place, so whichever tribe you're in, you woke up, in the center of the camp was the king, the king himself, the king of kings, his presence there. Chapter 20, excuse me, chapter 2, we read on. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Everyone of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard beside the emblems of his father's house. They shall camp some distance from the tabernacle meeting. So these first two verses tell us that Everyone in the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard beside the emblems of his father's house. Now, we've seen in many movies, and if you know 
history with wars and governments, especially in the, again the Middle Ages, all that stuff. Armies had their banner. They had their they had their banner. It's like like in Lord of the Rings. Most everyone saw Lord of the Rings. They're you know the Riders of Rohan have their banner, and so you have a banner, and when armies would conquer other armies, they'd capture the banners, especially the Europeans. So like when the pole, like when Peter the Great would wipe out like Charles II, and that was like the 15-year war, but Sweden was the superpower of the world. Can you believe that? There was a time when Sweden was the superpower of the world with Charles the Great, and Peter the Great took them down. They went up and down Ukraine, up and down the Black Sea, all the way to Turkey, fought each other for almost 20 years, but Peter the Great brought Russia in, built a fleet, whooped them, became a superpower. Long time ago. Peter the Great. And what they did in battles is they went out with their standard and they captured the flag. Thus the game at camps captured the flag. They captured the flags. So when the Russians would come back into Moscow, having defeated the Swedes, they would not only be marching the, the leaders, the captains and generals they captured. They treated them really well, actually, too. And then they would, they would have their banners. So it's like it's, a sports championship doesn't compare to it, but you, you're, you're a victorious army, you're coming back into Moscow or coming back into Berlin, the Prussian army, and you've got the banners. You conquered the Poles. You gave them a beatdown, and you have your banners, and you've got the ones you captured, and you display them. And that's what you have here, their banners. So 60-year-old, over 20 in the census, you're under this flag right here, the Dove, Calvary Chapel. There it is, the Dove. Our, our genealogy, Pastor Chuck, from the tribe of Foursquare back in the day. You're under this dove, and you got the WG logo that Hector designed for us. So we're a subdivision, so it's the dove, the Calvary Chapel movement. There we are. So this massive force of evangelical churches, 1,200 of them plus, under a dove. And we roll right in, and then we roll right in into the WG. We're like, what? The G, WG. And, you know, they... they you know, they know we're scrappy. They know, man. You just, you, you just we're, we're, we're going to, we're, you know, we got, we got, they'll put us in the front because they know, well, they know we'll charge. And we're right there like, whoa, let's go. Let's go, you know. And there we are. This, that's what they had. It was, they had an identity that God gave them. They had an identity. They were under these banners. And they literally, you know, you would, you would want to take pride in those banners. This is your identity. You're, you're in the covenant with God. El Shaddai, Yahweh, God Almighty, Yahweh, I am that I am. You're in that covenant. There's no other people on the planet in a covenant with him. And you're of this tribe. There's the dove. And you're of this subdivision of the tribe as it breaks down your family. There's the G. And you're like, all right, so where are we camping? Okay, well, it's just, you're going to camp this way to the south, well, south, north, west, east. So we're going to camp, all right? But we're a military camp. I said this, we're like, a major army. When Napoleon marched on Moscow, um, 1811, he marched on 600,000 troops all the way across Europe. Prussians, Poles, you know, there's nothing under the sun. He built a coalition, and they just marched, marched under their banners, and they took Moscow, but everyone left. They burned Moscow. They had no food. They had to go home. They all died on the way home. (laughs) But they had their banners. We have our banner. You know, I got to tell you, I'm proud in a good way of being a part of the Calvary Chapel movement. I'd be proud to be a Southern Baptist, too. Don't get me wrong. If I was in Pastor Matt's camp, I'd feel really good about that, too. Charles Stanley, man. Ah, you know what I'm saying? Or like, if I'm with John MacArthur, screw I'd be like, yeah, get behind John MacArthur. 
love him or don't love him, man, that guy's not messing around. He's definitely close to heaven, and he doesn't care who the governor is, who the mayor is, or the president, or anyone else. He serves Jesus, and he's not closing church. And whatever's between him and the Lord, when that guy is gone, we're going to be like, dude, that guy was a bad dude in the realm of the spirit. John MacArthur. And he's got his banner, right? So you see, it's kind of like their lane, our lane, your lane. They all have their spot and their place. Because the book of Numbers, as much as anything else, is a book about order. And when you think about it, throughout the Bible, God is putting in order disorder. He creates everything we know out of nothing in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, with the expanded version in chapter 2. Everything he does is moving toward order. Now, he does random things, but there's order. When Paul was planting churches in Crete, he left Titus there, and he said, set in order the things that are lacking. There's order. Now, there's supernatural in the order, and I think that's something I keep in mind. We can't, there's an order, and we need to know our order, our place, our lane, our banner, and just camp where he tells us to camp, right? We don't just do what we want to do. Hey, you know the day it all went down like six, seven weeks ago, and they're all going to shut down John MacArthur. They're going to shut down Jeff Johnson. They're going to shut down Rob McQuiff and Ventura. I was up at 4 in the morning. I was so pumped up. I'm like, where am I going? Where am I going? The Lord's like, you're not going anywhere. Sit down. I was like, what? I'm so fired up right now. I feel like it's a pipe master's today, man. I'm going somewhere, man. We're going. And the Lord's like, you're not going anywhere. You're going to Dog Beach at 6 a.m. You're going to pray with the dogs. Walk, you know, and then you're going to come home, and you're going to pray for all these services. That's what you're going to do. That's what I did. Uh, Jennifer's my witness. I watched all the services till, till noon. I was back and forth, all the churches, praying, 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 praying. That was my lane. Yeah, I was going to go get the $1,000 fine with Rob McCoy. I don't get that badge of honor, you know. <laughs> but I thought about it, 1000 bucks, you know. Yeah, okay. That, you know, like, and the Lord's like, no, just, hey, I'm seriously, for the mind, where we go when? He's like, you're going nowhere. <laughs> okay, all right. That was the beginning of stay in your lane. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> like, <laughs> road rage. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do? Just, I'd rather have passion than not. So it's easier to calm the fire down sometimes and stir it up. <laughs> Verse 3. So now we're going to figure out where we're camping. On the east side toward the rising sun, those are the standards of forces with Judah shall camp according to their armies, and Nashon, the son of, of Minnabad, shall be leader of the children of Judah, and his army was numbered at 74,600. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar, and Nathaniel, the son of Zur, shall be the leader of the children of Issachar, and his army was numbered at 54,400. Then comes the tribe of Zebulun, and Eliab, the son of Helon, will be the leader of the children of Zebulun, and his army was numbered at 57,400. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces of Judah, 186,400. These shall break camp first. So these are, our, these are the armies to the east, the rising of the sun. It is noteworthy that Judah leads the way, and they're going to be the first one to break camp all that time. And, of course, Jesus is the line of the tribe of Judah. Judah is the southern kingdom with all, many of the great kings like Hezekiah and Josiah. Judah is going to lead the way. So, and you say, well, I want to be the first one to break camp. Well, you can't. <laughs> know, your, know your banners. Know where you're at. Judah breaks camp first, and God's put these tribes with them. So it's Judah 
Issachar, and Zebulun to the east where the sun rises. 10, verse 10. On the south side shall be the standard of the forces with Reuben, according to their armies, and the leaders of the children of Reuben shall be Eleazar, uh, the son of Shadur, and his army is numbered at 46,500. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon, and the leader of the children of Simeon shall be Shalomiel, the son of Zeruiah, and his army was numbered at 59,300. Then comes the tribe of Gad, and the leaders of the children of Gad shall be Elisaph, the son of Ruel, and his army was numbered at 45,650, all who were numbered according to their armies and the forces of the forces of Reuben, 151,450. These shall be the second to break camp. So again, order these three tribes to the east, these three tribes to the south, and they're going to break camp, second in line. Verse 17, the tabernacle of meeting shall move out with the camp of Levites in the middle of the camp. As the camp, as they camp, so they shall move out, everyone in his place by their standards. You see this consistency. As they move out, everyone in his place by his standard. Everything is in order. We're praying about a lot of things for the rest of this year and just even how to help people overseas and stuff. But we're praying. We want everything to be done in order. God does things in order. You, you pray, you have faith, and you step out. But it's order. There's order. Even the book of Acts, with all of its freedom and fluidity, there's, there's order in what God's doing. But notice that the Lord is in the middle. So these six tribes are going to roll out. Then go the Levites with the presence of the Lord, the tabernacle, and all of its stuff. It's a long procession. And it's been estimated the total amount of Jews in this crew, Israelites total, is probably 2.5 million. You take into wives, children, younger children, all that stuff. It's a massive movement of people. Verse 18. On the west side shall be the standard of the forces with Ephraim according to their armies. And the leader of the children of Ephraim shall be Elishamah, the son of Aminahab. And his army is numbered at 40,500. Next to him comes the tribe of Manasseh, and the leader of the children of Manasseh shall be Galiel, the son of Pedahazur, and his army was numbered at 32,200. Then comes the tribe of Benjamin, and the leader of the children of Benjamin shall be Abidab, the son of Gedoni, and his army was numbered at 35,400. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces of Ephraim, 108,100. They shall be the third to break camp. The standard of the forces of Dan shall be on the north side, according to their armies, and the, le- the, children, the leader of the children of Dan shall be Ahaziah, the son of Amashadiah, and his army was numbered at 62,700. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher, and the leader of the children of Asher shall be Pagiel, the son of Akron, and his army was numbered at 41,500. Then comes the tribe of Naphtali, and the leader of the children of Naphtali shall be Ahira, the son of Enan, and his army was numbered at 53,400. All who are numbered of the forces with Dan 157,600, they shall break camp last with their standards. Somebody's always got to bring up the rear, and the tribe of Dan, Naphtali, the tribes, Asher, bring up the rear. It's interesting, Dan would settle in the north. They'd be the farthest northern tribe later on when they're in the promised land. So they were the leader of the north side, protecting the north flank of the nation of Israel in the wilderness wandering. Verse 32 we read on. These are the ones who are numbered of the children of Israel by their father's houses, all who are numbered according to their armies of the forces were 603,550. But the Levites were not numbered among the children of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus the children of Israel did according to all the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standard, and so they broke camp, each one by his family, according to his father's house. So 32 through 34 tells us that they it was in order. They did what they were supposed to do. And again, a good start is wonderful, but if it doesn't 
complete, you know, if you don't get it done from a good start. Like, a good start's good, but the good finish is better. And these guys had a good start. Verse 34, it says they, they did all the Lord said, and they camped by their standard, and they broke camp, each one by his family. It's just like God is preparing them for such great things, and he's giving them their place, their banners, their standards. It's all there, and all they have to do is trust in the Lord. Prepare themselves and trust in the Lord. They missed it, but we don't have to.